0: Welcome to Hemp Logic Radio, where we attempt to sift facts from opinions in this upside-down world of industrial hemp. Here's your hosts, Corey Sharp and John Tucci. Well, good morning. It's, uh, Corey Sharp here. John Tucci is on special assignment this morning, so I've got a gentleman, uh, Danielle German, also known as Donnie. He'd like to be called Donnie. Uh, Donnie, we're going to be talking about smokable flour this morning and, um, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about, st- uh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> sorry about that, uh, smokable flour, which has become a hot topic in the, in the marketplace here recently with farmers realizing that their biomass might not be worth as much as they thought it was going to be, but, uh, so they're, they're switching over to, to, uh, smokable flower, and that's why I wanted to bring uh, Donnie on and talk about that. Uh,
1: hey, Corey. Donnie, are you with thank us? Thank
0: you for having me on. Yeah, can you hear me, Corey? Are, yeah, yes, I can, Donnie. Thanks for taking the time. Did I introduce you correctly there? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, right it's on. It's great to right be on. here.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, so if you want to go ahead and just kind of give everybody a little bit of feedback on, or just give, give them fill him in on, on who you are and what you've been doing in the industry. So, you know, we can uh, quantify that. Yeah. Well, I've been in the industry since
1: 1996 and uh, you know, I started uh, by working as a post-production uh, guy, you know, a trimmer in uh, medical grows in California and uh, worked my way up to trim manager where we, uh, over the years, perfected techniques for drying and curing and harvesting. And as the scale of the industry grew, uh, you know, my operations kind of grew along with it. Uh, had many of my own medical grows in California, moved up to Oregon, uh, and uh, opened up a couple of Tier 2 uh, producers, worked on projects all over the country, Washington State, California, Oregon, Pennsylvania, New York, Uh, and really my love for the flower is what drives the whole thing. Uh, you know, cannabis flower and hemp is, uh, hemp is not a cousin to cannabis. The modern hemp that we grow came from the cannabis genome and, you know, was bred to have the THC, uh, you know, quantities lowered. So what we're dealing with is cannabis flower and the art and technique of drying and curing cannabis flower is uh, my greatest passion in life, along with finding right varieties
0: of cannabis. <laughs> well, <What? laughs> yes, yeah, always finding the latest, greatest. I read an article just yesterday about uh, the OG and where that where yeah. that came from, and I thought that was
1: a yeah, fascinating
0: new- piece. New- on you know, it's did it the, did the- it mention New Smyrna Beach, Florida? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It didn't mention Florida. It mentioned California and and being a OG is supposed to be, uh, you know, the the myth is that it came from the ocean. It was uh, ocean. Right. 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 Well, that's that's the
1: name supposedly.
0: Yeah. Supposedly. I mean, there's a lot of myth to this whole thing.
1: Well, the OG, let me demystify it for a second. The OG comes from New Smyrna Beach, California. Uh, Well, the the parentage of the OG comes from New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and coming from the Northeast, all the best cannabis in the 80s and 90s came from Florida, from indoor grows in Florida, and we called it the Crippies, and uh, OG is the king of them all, and uh, a strain called the Triangle came to California and was crossed with something in the Chemdog family, and that's how we have OG Kush.
0: Yes, it's a, it was per, it was pretty fascinating. So uh, let's let's spin back to the uh, the actual hemp industry, and and I and in my intro, you know, we're seeing a lot of people, the farmers that we're talking to, realize that they don't have what they thought they had, and of course, then uh, the the smokable market is super hot right now. Uh, we talked to uh, Patriot Shield a couple of weeks ago. They said that the, the hemp uh, smokable market on the East Coast is just white hot, which then just fuels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and so you and I talked a little bit before we got on air, but, you know, we talked about farmers thinking they can just pivot. Uh, so, you know, let's talk about that. What are you seeing in the marketplace? And then let's talk a little bit more about what you actually have to do to get a quality product out on the market and actually for sale. So let's Let's start there. Right. Right, right. So
1: let's start with, with the, a little bit of background on the flower market itself. So in 2018, right, farmers were growing predominantly for biomass. There were a lot of small farms growing for, for smokable flower, but most of that flower was sold into the, into the marketplace by January and, or February at the latest, the, the quality purpose-grown flower. But the demand that was created was so high that the holders of biomass, anybody who had 10,000 pounds, 3,000 pounds of biomass sitting in super sacks in their warehouse that had been flash dried and handled as biomass, right? So basically all the terpenes cooked off in its original drying process. And all these these holders of biomass, I won't even call them farmers at this point, you know, by this point, most of this biomass was being held by uh, third parties uh, who often had no knowledge or understanding of what cannabis flower is supposed to be, hemp flower is supposed to be. And so what you had was uh, a new category emerged in the broker sphere called bud mass, and Every super sack of material was being sifted and looked through for chunky, chunky biomass, right? So mm-hmm. we're looking for the stuff with the chunks in it. And people started screening and sifting, machine trimming, and selling the flour into the market in 1,000-pound and bigger loads, right? Um, and pretty much anything that looked like a smokable flour... Uh, to a very low standard of quality, was just gobbled up by the market. And I believe it gave a sense of, a false sense of value to the supply chain uh, and to new farmers who don't have any familiarity with growing flour for the smokable industry, whether it be cannabis or hemp. And the quality of the product by April and May was absolutely atrocious, but the market gobbled it up. So th- this, this transferred this uh, idea that if I'm growing 200 acres of hemp, well, that means that I can deliver 200,000 pounds of smokable flour to the market, and it's worth $600 a pound, right? Exactly. And, yeah, people are, people are and losing this,
0: their minds over this.
1: Losing their minds. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely insane. So the market is in for a realignment. There are now a lot of farmers who are growing smokable flour from select genetics with the purpose of rendering high-quality flour. And this year, the hemp flour, smokable flour marketplace is going to be a quality game. Right, it's going to be about the best strains and the best quality, and quality comes from how you handle cannabis from harvest until it's trimmed and in a bag and ready for a customer. And you know this takes into account what the weather is like during mm-hmm. that harvest. Like right now, it's raining in Southern Oregon.
0: Some it's of raining. Cats, it's it's some, raining. It's raining where I'm at. So yeah, we're in it's Oregon. Raining it's everybody. raining
1: it's raining everywhere. It's a bad year. Yet Last year was a sweetheart year for, for our industry partially because Oregon, which is one of the biggest producers, had an absolutely sweetheart autumn, harvest season. And there was basically very little precipitation and warmer nighttime temperatures all the way into, into uh, October. And that Allowed for a lot of high quality stuff coming out of the field, and even, you know, a, a pretty decent preservation of that garbage biomass. And I say garbage biomass not because it was garbage as biomass, as biomass, it was fire 12, 14, 16% on the flour. You know, really good biomass was being sold as flour. And for a Correct. while there there was some there was some luck, lucky stuff being pulled out where the elements were just right. They dried it at a lower temperature. there were some turps left. There was some good stuff coming out of there, but the majority was garbage. Yeah,
0: and so let's 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 start there with uh the, with the farmers. Let's talk a little bit about what uh you know you talked a little bit about the high end stuff, and I appreciate that but let's talk a little bit yeah. in, in, about the farmer that has uh ten acres. And he, you know, he's got nice, nice colas, but he's just got a just a regular generic cherry wine in the field. <clears throat> what, what right. is this? What is this farmer? What is he up against? And what does he have to do, in your opinion, to to get that, uh, get those buds out of the field and, and actually just even have a chance of being on the open market and selling that product. Let's talk about that. Sure, sure, sure.
1: So cherry wine is pretty generic, pretty widespread out there in the marketplace, along with your your lifters and your electras and your super and so on. And if it's grown well, and that means quality inputs, the right nutrients either built into the soil or fed to the crop at the right time, you can really produce perfectly – Uh, good smokable flower. It's going to be, um, you know, your cherry wine as a strain. You know, so what what determines the quality of cannabis isn't just the strain. Like I said, it's how it gets through harvest and how it's handled afterwards. So a guy with 10 acres – who is looking to get into the uh, into the smokable flower market? Let's say you've got about a thousand. You did a great job you've got uh, a fully uh, fully cropped acre. You know your plant rows are close together. your plants at this point in the season are heavily budded and touching one another. Let's say you can do a selective harvest of the tops and pull down about a thousand pounds worth of dry flour, ten thousand pounds wet you know you're going to achieve about a thousand pounds per acre of of tops mm-hmm. if you really planted right. Okay. So a thousand pounds for every thousand pounds, uh, you're, 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 you're looking at a huge level of complexity when it comes to bringing it in properly, drying it properly, and then curing it properly. Right? So you've got a lot of guys out there who say, well, I'm just going to, throw uh, 10,000 pounds into a shipping container. It doesn't work like that. You can dry only about 100 pounds in the shipping container. So for so every
0: what, acre. Real, real quick, real quick, real quick on that. So let, let's back up. So let's, the farmer, he doesn't realize this, and he says, well, I'm just going to cut off the colas and lay them on a tarp. And what, what does that cause, and what does that, uh, what is he going to end up with if that happens? Uh, If
1: you dry flat on a tarp, uh, you're going to wind up with very low-grade flour. Primo flour has to be hung, hung, it has to be big-leafed, and then hung to dry in a proper, controllable environment. So even a basic shipping container is not an ideal situation because it's not insulated, and your cost and complexity of controlling the temperature and humidity is very difficult with changing external temperatures. So you want to really Why do you, want to, control, iso- why
0: do you want to control the humidity, Donnie? What, what is that? What is you that? have talking to... About you hearing, have, right? Okay. So even
1: drying. So if, when you get wet material into a drying facility, you have, you know, two to three days to get the moisture in the room under complete control. Okay? So you need an insulated room, you need to keep it at relatively low temperatures and keep the humidity, you know, under 60% at all times throughout the process and, and, and lowering it as you go along. Um, there's, there's a lot of different techniques for exactly how to do that, but the key to it all is insulated rooms in which you are that are sized properly for a single day's harvest. You don't want to put a wet harvest on top of a dry harvest in the same room in your facility because you will never be able to control the temperature. And God forbid you bring some mold into that room. You're creating an environment where uh, your somewhat dry cannabis is sucking up the moisture from your wet cannabis that you put in the second day. So basically – it's a race, quality depends on winning the race to control the humidity in your drying space. And that is 100% about HVAC, right? Dehumidification capacity and temperature control capacity. And remember that since we're drying at a lower temperature, uh, the dehumidifier that you bought that is spec to take out uh, 100 pints a day That's rated for eighty degrees Celsius uh, um, Mm -hmm. Fahrenheit, and you're and you're (coughs) and you're going to be trying to dry at sixty degrees Fahrenheit. So you now need to double your capacity for dehumidification at those lower temperatures. It's just it's not a simple game. It's 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 highly (laughs) complex, and the best growers they're not the best growers. They're the best handlers, right? They they, correct all in the handling. All in the handling. So a hang dry, a, 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 a small, a, 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 a properly sized room and proper HVAC capacity.
0: And, and that's how I you, really, that's Donnie, how you I don't it. think people really, I don't think people understand when they when you say the smokable hemp market, I don't think they really understand what they're actually getting into, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, oh, you, they don't. you're, they don't. And, and if, there's nothing wrong with not knowing It's just that uh, I think that you even said, I mean, if somebody said offered you $600 a pound and and you were hoping to get 40, but that's now turned into 20 that you would look at, well, shit, if I just go out and and just half-ass do this and I get 300 a pound, that's way better than I was even going to get on the biomass market. So there's a little bit of disconnect between what what is actually really good smokable flour that somebody, a shop in East, uh, East, East of the eastern United States wants to buy versus a smokable right. flour that you pulled the, the colas off and threw them on a tart. It's a big right. difference. Right. And we can see it. You know, there's this, you know, we
1: can look at the cannabis industry for some cues here. You know, in Oregon, everybody talks about this huge surplus of flour that's sitting in warehouses all over Oregon, six year supply. It's a myth. It's not a six-year supply. Nobody wants any of it. It's got seeds. It's got mold. It was badly dried. It smells like hay. This is low-grade, unsellable material. And granted, the national marketplace is much better, uh, much bigger than the Oregon marketplace and, can, and, and will swallow up a lot of products, but quality is still the game. now, And especially this year because... Smart farmers started getting their flower game on point four months ago, and it was part of their overall harvest plan. And they're already, the best of the best are already bringing flour to the market by growing in greenhouses and doing light deprivation operations and properly handling the, the material, right? So, I mean, it comes down to if you don't know what you're doing with flour, the odds of messing it up and winding up with a product that's not even worth $300, maybe it's worth $100 tomorrow, bro, when they come into the industry. It's, wide, it's widely known that Altria and, you know, the cigarette companies are trying to figure out a way into this marketplace. And the most likely way for them to do it is in the hemp smokable flower marketplace, right? And, you know, they'll be putting crap flower into their cigarettes, you can bet, because the cigarettes you know, they don't care about quality. They uh, they sell on packaging and brand
0: recognition
1: and addiction.
0: Yeah. Right? No, yeah, it's, so, it's a little different. So, you know, there is going to be, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's going to be guys that, that actually did this, just did what we said. They're going to take, you know, these guys don't know what they're talking about. But I'm going to cut the colas off, put them on a tarp, roll them around, and I'm going to have, you know – uh, 10,000 pounds of, of smokable, you know, and I'm using quotation marks, <laughs> smokable yeah. flour yeah. In, in, the, in the near future. It's not going to be something that someone like yourself, you'd walk up and go, nope, I'm not even interested. But yeah, I act as a,
1: you know, I act as a grader for a lot of buyers for flour. You know, I'm trusted to go look at a lot of flour and to report on its quality and grade. And I can tell you this, that this year, more, way more than last year, buyers are looking for quality. If you don't you know, excel at creating a quality, and listen, there's a baseline quality, but it starts with hanging dry and controlling the environment in your drying. And if you don't do it, I can't see it being very good for you in the marketplace because there's gonna be a lot of really uh intentionally grown high quality flour at all levels from a hundred and fifty up to fifteen hundred dollars for for some uh high end indoor and greenhouse products.
0: That's crazy. But yeah, it's, it's
1: but and <laughs> if you if, if oh, you wanna get in that button. game, if you're if sorry. sorry oh, no. No, but no, you didn't. no, oh, there's,
0: there's a bud. I, I want to hear about the bud.
1: If you're trying to get into the flower game and you haven't done it before, even if you have this amazing, you know, uh, uh, looking uh, crop in the field and you're seeing the numbers of smokable flour, I would suggest that you find a dedicated building, right, where you can control the temperature and environment. And go small. Bring in as much as possible at the best quality possible and make all your mistakes on a small scale. And next year, got it. Next year you'll be in the game. You'll know how to do quality. And you'll solve those scaling problems before they ruin you.
0: I, I'm hearing guys. I'm hearing guys saying, you know, screw this hundred acres crap. I'm going. I'm going small. Which is, you know, these guys that are these smaller farmers, they should be. They should be out here doing, you know, a hundred acres of of hemp anyway. They should be focusing on, you know, that ten acres of just really good whatever it is. You know, that's where right. you chase down genetics. You chase down the genetics. You chase down. It's right. Like, holy smokes, where did you? You know, we just talked about OG. You know, OG Kush. Right. It, it, there has to be a right. a, a, a variety or a, a a variety of genetic of for hemp that has right everything we you know the farm bill compliant hemp that has that great right. smell and those great terpenes. Yes. You know they're crystallized so, and that's what you need to get into. So
1: so the guys that have already figured out the um you know, how to render that high-quality flower. That's the stage that they're in. So we're out in the field. We're pheno hunting. What? what you know, we're, we're cultivar hunting. We're looking for specific genetics that embody the absolute best traits in their highest volume representation, right? And we're taking those genetics, and we're bringing them in. We're cloning them. We're making them into mothers. And in the next round of flower... It's gonna be all about the clones. Go clone or go home. You know, really? It's like you,
0: you wait. So no, wait, oh. wait, wait. So hang on, because that that goes against everything. As far as we see on the commercial side of that, clones are out. And but you, what you're saying is that we're gonna be if you're gonna be producing smokable flour or have that special, you know, that that niche market that I always talk about, then you're saying that you need to go and find clones. Right. You,
1: you, you definitely okay. need to grow from clone next year in order to be relevant in the flower market. So OG Kush, right? Let's go back to OG Kush. OG okay. Kush is not a seed variety, okay? Just because you can go out and buy OG Kush uh, seeds, that doesn't mean it's OG Kush. That's OG Kush that's been crossed with something else, that's been crossed with something else, that something you else grow else 100 seeds from, that, that, yeah. that you grow 100 seeds from, and maybe but not definitely, maybe one in a 100 is as good or better than the original OG Kush, Correct. okay? Correct. And the, don't original OG they don't Kush, get it. the original OG Kush is a clone, and I have been holding on to the Fire OG cut, for, which is just the original OG cut for, uh, I don't know, I think 14 years. And it's been passed. Before it got to me, it was passed from one deadhead to one kid in the rave circuit. And uh, the first year that everybody, uh, that OG Kush was proliferated, people were selling clones for $10,000 a clone and up. And that still happens with the best clone-only genetics when they're new and fresh on the market. But the clone-only game is not a – it's not – you have to co- com- continue to innovate in your strain catalog and grow from new clones in order to stay ahead of the trends in the market. Right? Well, oh, so uh, we are hey, like.
0: Hey, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. So I'm sitting, I'm, I'm, I'm perusing, perusing the internet while we're having this conversation. And up says 150 acres in California available. OG Kush CBD. And I, right. So there, so you so theres there is a,
1: there there is a clone on the market right now that approximates. Uh, I've got a clone. I've got a CBG clone. A uh, you know kind of a clone that smells and tastes just like Bubba Kush. Um, and there are individual clone-only genetics that have been found in the last couple of years that people are now growing at scale. I'm not, I, I'm not a hater. If you find a clone that smells like OG Kush, let's go, man. Let me smell it. I'll tell you if it smells yeah, like OG Kush. I've been growing acres, it for 14 Sonny?
0: years. No, there, nobody's, bringing in,
1: nobody's bringing in 150 acres of, of high-end flowers. That's what, that, that's what
0: I, that was my point. That was my point. You know, This yeah. guy, 150 you need, acres, you and need, he's just calling it OG Kush CBD. I mean, he's full of shit. Yeah. Now, maybe he's growing
1: that variety, but there's no way he's getting 150 acres in as high-quality smokable flour.
0: You need 150,000 yeah, yeah, square
1: you know. feet of drying space. You need 150,000 square feet of drying space. And you also need 150 days to harvest it all. For flowers, exactly. You can't exactly. You I can't, can't. People pump pump don't
0: it. The scale, the scale that we're talking about is so large that people get swallowed up just with scale. You know, uh, yeah. just yeah. 15 acres, 15 acres of smokable flour is a monumental task, and this guy's kind of claiming 150 acres. Uh, yeah. It's not going to happen. not going to happen. Fifteen acres.
1: 15 acres if your game is on, if your game is on. I can see you pulling it in. But even if you're doing 15 acres, focus on 2 acres of super high quality and 13 acres of some other grade.
0: Exactly. I mean that's, right? what, that's what this is. That's why we that's why I'm having you on the phone today. It's just to, to talk about the complexity of what you're talking about when you talk about smokable flour, what is actual, what's a real scale of smokable flour. And, you know, the farmers that have these uh, acres of hemp doesn't necessarily translate into a smokable flour situation. So what I'm saying is just be super careful with what you're doing and how you're doing it. So you don't get hurt. We're, We're not trying to get you hurt here. Um, we're trying to help right. you, uh, get, get right. out of the field. We want, you know, we turn into, well, we're going to have a harvest Armageddon to, okay, now we're into a harvest emergency. And then now we're into what do we have to do to get you out of the field with anything so we can get you, you back into the field in 2020. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. My belief, I think you guys have the right game. Um, I believe that getting it out of the field at $20 a pound uh, will deliver a big picture win for your farming operations uh, and for your investors if you have them um that uh screwing it up at the smokable flower game and over promising to your uh to your um investors uh and partners over promising what the value of your fields are and the like that it's just it is a game that is uh it's just it's it's built for failure i think that um The best thing you can do is flower on a small scale till you know exactly what you're doing and what it will take to scale those operations and then get that $20 biomass in, uh, before it gets uh,
0: flopped over and rotten in a pile of mud in your field. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, let's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. And that's, I think, uh, let's, uh, let's end on that. That's a great, that's a great ending note right there. Um, because we touched, we've, we've covered all the bases. I think we could probably talk this. We could talk three hours about this, uh, but a little bit more in depth. And it's something we could we could actually uh, come back and revisit this stuff on a more technical le- le- level uh, at a later date. Right now, we're just trying to get out of harvest. So um, let's cut this. Let's cut this one loose. Um, you know, Donnie, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, Donnie Thanks, German. Thanks. Sorry, it's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, he you can find him on LinkedIn. Danielle, D- Danielle German, uh, Yeah. He's got so got Instagram Daniel, here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Nomad you, I, underscore PBX uh, on Instagram.
0: Exactly. And you can find this in the, the uh, blog talk uh, description. You can find his contact information. And you can also go to the LinkedIn page where I posted this uh, podcast and find him there as well. But, uh, Donnie, thank you for coming online and uh, talking with us about this important topic. I really appreciate it.
1: Anytime. And anybody who needs help or advice regarding flour out there in the marketplace can hit me up. Uh, I, I I love to
0: help farmers be successful. Right on. You got a number they can reach out, reach out at? If you want a number, you can put a number out if you want. Uh, I'm not going to put my phone number
1: out on the interwebs uh, like this, but <laughs> you can, uh, you can, <laughs> uh, Corey, Corey, you're going to post, you're going to post my information. Uh, it's Daniel German on LinkedIn, D-A-N-I-E-L and uh, J-U-R-M-A-N-N. And that's the best way to reach me or my, my Instagram or email that you're right going to post. Man. All
0: right, guys. Have a great so day. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, sir. I'll talk to you later man thank good. you good good right. luck bye. getting him out of the field right on man. That's what we're all about. Appreciate it all right have a good day all right. bye all right guys that was a that was probably one of our better ones. Uh, I wish John Tucci was with us because uh, he always adds to the phone adds to the to the call but uh we're gonna be uh we're gonna kick off here and if just keep in touch. Subscribe to us so you don't miss any uh, episodes. we got a bunch of cool stuff coming up. We've got uh, some CBD things and, and whatnot. But uh, anyway, the FDA and the CBDs. I will let you guys go. Have a great evening or a great uh, day, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.